0: second floor i was the resident assistant now being an ra it has some perks you get free room and board no roommate nice but it also came with a problem chad this guy was a piece of work i'll give you an example one of the things he would do he would set his alarm clock so he would wake up just in time for lunch And then when he got back to his room after lunch, he'd take a big nap so that he could stay up all night drinking beer. So he goes to bed at night. He's full of alcohol. He goes to bed around 3 o'clock in the morning. So guess what he has to do around 4 o'clock? Bathroom. But he doesn't want at 4 o'clock in the morning to go all the way down the hall. So I'll tell you what he did. Chad... He peed out his window. Yeah, how would you like to be the, the poor people living in the first floor underneath him? Right? I mean, on a windy night, look out. Well, I was the RA, so I had a problem. Daniel, he has a problem. We're teaching through the biblical book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament, and today we're at chapter 2, and we're just going to dig into chapter 2 and try and understand what God's doing in here. It starts this way, chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Ever had that? You know, a night that you're just filled with troubled dreams, maybe you wake up in a cold sweat? Well, verse 2... So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. He didn't just want to know what his dream meant. Notice, he wanted them to tell him what his dream was. Well, why? Perhaps he forgot what his dream was, or maybe he was just setting that up as a test so that they would be accountable and couldn't just make something up. Well, his advisors, they end up saying to him, Well, we we can't do that. We don't have that kind of of ability. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he decides to give them some additional motivation. Verse 5. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Do you think he really needed to add and your houses... Turned into piles of rubble? <laughs> right? I mean, he had me I cut you into pieces. But get this, because we're, we're going to have Nebuchadnezzar in more chapters throughout Dan- Daniel. Understand who this guy is. He had a very distinct leadership style. You know, some leaders are like hands-on leaders and some are hands-off leaders. Nebuchadnezzar, he's like a heads-off type of leader. If you think that you have a difficult boss, Nebuchadnezzar, when he terminated somebody, he actually terminated them. Gone. Well, the royal advisors, they said, we're not able to figure out what your dream is or what your dream means. So King, he says, okay, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Verse 13. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. King Nebuchadnezzar, he ordered the execution of all the royal advisors, which included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Daniel, he's got a problem. He's got a life jeopardizing problem. What does Daniel do? Well, I'll tell you what I did. Remember my problem? Chad, the the guy who got drunk and peed out the window... Well the people living below him they actually did come to me they filed the complaint valid complaint <laughs> I probably complained too and so here's what i did chad's roommate was a friend of mine and so i convinced him to get up at 3:30 in the morning and close the window <laughs> right <laughs> think about that one it only took two nights. I won't give you all the details. Let's just say that method, it worked. Problem solved. My general default when I have a problem, I'm, I'm a guy. So my initial reaction well, it's to fix it, to solve it, to figure it out. Daniel's got a problem. Interesting thing here. Very first thing he does when he runs into this problem Well, it's this, verse 18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. His first response was to go to God in prayer. It wasn't to say, well, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to solve this? First thing, Daniel's instinctive response, well, I'm going to bring this one to God in prayer. Because God, well, he invites each one of us, he invites us to do that. It's all throughout the Bible. This one, James 4, 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. Or this, Matthew 7, 7. Read this one with me. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Or James puts it this way, chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you in trouble? Let them will pray. Pray. Over and over and over and over. We see over 20 times in the New Testament alone, God is inviting us to ask Him for things. How many times do I try and solve it, figure it out, fix it, but not pray? The words that the Bible uses here to describe what we're invited to pray for, well, they're broad. It says, ask for Everything, ask for anything whatsoever, limitless terms. It's as if God is saying, I'm here, I'm available. You can decide how much of me you want in your life. There's a lot of messed up theology when it comes to prayer. I won't get into all of those, but how about how about this one? There's the theology that says this, that prayer is what you do to get God to do what you want. Huh? I mean, the underlying assumption there is that God, He really isn't good and He really doesn't do good things unless we find a way to manipulate Him or unless we find a way to twist His arm hard enough. That's not in here. We don't need to compel God to do good because God, well, He is good. We don't need to sway God to be loving because God, well, He is loving. He cares about us. He hears us. He responds to us, not because he has to, not because he's forced to, not because we manipulate him to or we strong arm him to or or we just are persistent enough. He does that because that's who he is. That's in his character. He's good. He loves. He cares about you. He cares about me. Now, Now, does that mean that his answer to our prayers is always going to be yes No. You know, my son Caleb was about six, maybe seven years old when he first heard this Chad R.A. story. And he was stunned. Remember, he said, He did that? He peed out the window? Dad, can I do that? (laughs) And my response was, Well, wait until your mom's not home. (laughs) kidding kidding no i told him no you know when we get a no from god well god's got a reason for that and we may not fully understand his reason maybe his reason for giving us a no is because he's got a bigger perspective maybe his reason for the no is because he's got a different plan maybe the reason he gives us a no is because he's got a greater purpose what what is it that's happening in your life today what is it that's in your heart, that's in your mind, that, that's troubling you? Well, God says again and again and again and again in His Word, well, share it with me. Share it with me. Connect with me. Let's have that time together. Just share it and then listen and look for Him because He does Well, He answers. In Daniel chapter 2, we see right out of the gates, Daniel, he's got a problem, tough situation. He prays, Daniel well, in this situation, he got a yes. God revealed King Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him. Well, and that's what this is. Here it is. It's verse 31 in chapter 2. It said, "'Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue.'" An enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. When you hear that, do you understand why King Nebuchadnezzar was, was anxious? I mean, I hear that, he's probably thinking, man, I'm probably that that king. That's probably me, and what's happening here? This is kind of troubling. Does it mean that somebody's going to assassinate me? Does this mean that somebody's got a plan to take me out? Does this mean that my kingdom is going to fall? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have to wonder about this for very long, because God also gave Daniel the interpretation. Verse 37... Your Majesty, you are the King of Kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, He has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, He has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Well, I bet that King Nebuchadnezzar, kind of with the ego that he has, he probably really liked hearing that. Well, Daniel continues, verse 39, after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Daniel is saying that each section of this statue represents a global empire, and there were four of them. So here's the question that people have been trying to figure out throughout all of history. What are these four empires? Right? Daniel 2 saying there's going to be four empires. What are they? What are their names? Maybe, well, is China one of these? Russia? How about us? Maybe the United States. Are we one of these? I'm going to tell you specifically what I think these nations are. But before I do, we, we need to understand first verse 45 says this, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. For Daniel and for Nebuchadnezzar, this dream, whether it was a prophecy for telling future events, for us, we live 2,500 years later. 2,500 years, that's a long time. So before anybody gets all freaky and says something like, Well, I heard, I heard that they discovered a a large iron deposit in Afghanistan. Afghanistan, Afghanistan must be this fourth layer. The the end is near. The end is coming. Everybody needs to go get your bottled water and your canned foods and hide in a bunker. No. Right? No. Think. Use your noggins. All right, this is 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years We live 2,500 years later, which means much of what is in here is no longer the future, but the past. 2,500 years later, we have the advantage of observing how much of this has already been fulfilled through the pages of history. All right, let's tick through them. This one, the, the head of gold. Well, Daniel chapter 2 Flat out tells us this one is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. No controversy about that one. Verse 38. He has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. The Babylonian Empire didn't last forever. Verse 39. After you, another kingdom will arise. Year 539 BC, the Persian army invades Babylon and defeats it. We're actually going to see that. That's in the book of Daniel. It comes a few chapters later. So this, this second layer, well, that's Persia. Third one, verse 39. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Well, the whole earth. Historical fulfillment of layer number three here. Well, it's the Greeks. It's Alexander, the, the Greek. He spent most of his ruling years with an unprecedented military campaign. Verse 40, Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. That fourth layer, that's a nod to the Roman Empire. The passage elaborates on this one. Next verse, verse 41, Just as you saw that the feet and toes were Partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. Divided kingdom. Now there's a little bit of scholarly debate on this one. Some scholars will say, well, that division refers to the two phases of Rome. There was the democracy of Rome, followed by the the empire of Rome. Others will say, no, that refers to the east-west division that was happening in the empire of Rome. And that division was very clear after the fall of Rome. How many of you are still awake? You know, anybody thinking, man, you know, enough of the boring history. I would rather hear a story about Chad. (laughs) I got a lot of stories about Chad. Most of them I wouldn't be able to share right here. But I will give you an update. Chad, today, he is a respected banker. And most people don't know his history. I do. He received a promotion not that long ago, and he moved his office from the first floor. He got a second floor. He got the vice president office. And so when I saw him, I said to him with a smile, does your new office come with a window? He knew what I was talking about. <laughs> well, we, we look at this, you know, chapter 2 of Daniel and think maybe, you know, this history lesson and this statue and this dream and these layers maybe feels a couple thousand years later like it's a little bit boring and irrelevant. But I think if we dig in and try and understand it, well, it's in here, right? It's in the Bible. And there's actually a rather, I, I think, a cool application, For us, 2,500 years later, this, this vision in Daniel chapter 2, it's history. But remember for them, for the original audience, none of this had happened yet. And so, any guesses how many world empires, history books tell us, how many world empires existed between this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 and the New Testament? Four, four, open up your world history books and it will show between Daniel around 600 BC and the New Testament, there were four. One, two, three, four. This happened. History happened just the way God said it would happen. The centuries that followed Daniel chapter 2 played out like this. History unfolded like this. See, God, God doesn't predict the future. God knows the future. God knows, God knows, God knows. And this, this evidence, this, this statue, this dream, Daniel chapter two, it's evidence. It's confirmation. God doesn't just tell us he knows the future. We see it. We see it through history. We see God knows the future. We see God, he's bigger than the future. God, he's the one who holds the future. We, We live in a world that has been infiltrated by evil and sin. There are things in your life and there are things in my life that are difficult, that are unwanted. That hurt. And and it's easy to become overwhelmed by anxiety and despair. This, this reminds us there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. No matter how big the Rome in your life may feel, no matter how deep the, the pain of the Babylon in your life may hurt, The future, it is in God's hands. Isaiah puts that this way, chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Join me, let's read this together. In that day, they will say, Surely, this is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. Some, some of you need to hear that today. Surely, this is our God. We trusted Him and He saved us. Whatever you're facing today, whatever it is that's in your life, Surely this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. That day, that day it is coming. Great hope in that. Well, still one more thing in, in here. We covered the head of gold. That was Babylon. We covered layer two and That was Persia. We covered layer 3. That was the Greek Empire. We covered layer 4, the feet and and the legs. That was the Roman Empire. Here's the one thing that we didn't cover yet. Verse 34. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Well, what's that? What's the rock? What's happened in history that... Pulled that off. What's greater than Babylon? What's greater than Persia? What's greater than Greece? What's greater than Rome? What is it that took Rome out at its feet? Well, around the year six, 600 years later, here's what happened. A guy by the name of Peter, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, he said this, First Peter 2, verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone. That's a clue. Stone. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Well, who's the stone? After healing a man who couldn't walk, Peter got really clear with us, and he put it this way: Acts 4, verse 10. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, Jesus is what? Yeah! See that? Jesus is the stone. These things are starting to come together now. Peter says, and he knew this, he knew Daniel chapter 2, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus... Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the rock. You see this? They didn't know that back then. We know this now. Jesus is the rock that was cut out, but not of human hands. Ah, that makes sense. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. Jesus is the rock that is greater than Babylon or Persia or Greece or Rome. And then Check out what else Daniel says about him. Verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. 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 See, Jesus, he isn't gone. And Jesus, he's not done Daniel tells us, the New Testament tells us, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The human story will come to its conclusion. The book of human history will reach its final page. There is a God who does more than know this. He is moving history toward a goal. The world as we know it will come to an end. The dead will rise. Creation will be redeemed. Heaven and earth will be made new. Satan will be fully and finally defeated. Every knee on earth and under the earth and in heaven will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. There's some mystery around that. You know, it it may be a while. So go ahead. It's okay to buy green bananas. (laughs) Don't don't get weird on this one. Don't get eccentric with this. Don't over-fixate on the win. Jesus, He didn't tell us when and He's got a reason why He didn't tell us when. We just trust Him with that. So let's close with this verse 44 in the time of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end but it will itself endure forever God doesn't tell us that so we can put together charts and timelines and make predictions God tells us that because that it changes things Knowing the future changes how I live in the present. No matter how things feel today, there is no future in pain. No matter how things appear today, there is no future in evil. Knowing the future changes how I live in the present. Some of the things which which seem and which feel so important to me now, well, it probably isn't really that important in the grand scheme of things. And some of the things that don't seem all that important to me now, well, probably are. Verse 34, "...a rock was cut out, but not by human hands." It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Well, that's Daniel chapter 2. Do you get it? Do you understand it? I hope so. Knowing... The future changes how I live in the present. Is there anything that the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to change? Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday. and We just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends. And also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.